Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Once I reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication, but Ka is a wheel, it all goes round again, and here I am once more on the newest phase of this journey, one to examine each of the endings of the works of Stephen King to determine whether or not King deserves his reputation for having an inability to successfully land his endings. The focus of the podcast is going to be to examine the climax, falling action, and resolution of the endings to each of his novels and break it down by character, themes, conflict, and plot to determine whether or not it meets the criteria of being an objectively good ending. I will also weigh in on whether or not I happen to personally, subjectively like the ending. And today, <laughs> I am here to discuss the incredibly divisive ending of the novel Under the Dome, which, by the way, when I started thinking about what I could do with this podcast after I you know, had gone through all of the chronological order and I did top 10 lists and I reviewed some of the, the movies and I was just thinking about like what to do next and I started thinking about all the conversation that was happening and had happened around the endings of his 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 books. I thought a lot about Under the Dome and I thought a lot about how people felt about the ending of Under the Dome and this was one of the reasons why I decided to do it. So I'm excited to you know, dive into Under the Dome with all of you today. I'm ready to step, step back under that dome uh, with all of you. Um, but first, before we get into it and before we get into the... Um, the, the listener emails, because I want to read some of those as well. I just wanted to welcome all of you back who have been longtime listeners. I know, and I apologize, I don't I don't record podcasts nearly as much as I did in the heyday of the, the Stephen King cast. Um, and I really am sorry. Um, I know what it's like when you enjoy a podcast, and that podcast isn't around as much. Um, so I do apologize, and I do want to thank you know everyone who's tuning in for the first time. Uh, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, there are many, many episodes for you to dive into. Um, if you like this one um, and, and you like uh, a deeper analysis of Stephen King, there is a lot to explore in the previous podcasts. So um, for anyone new, welcome. For everyone that has uh, been with me on this, uh, this monorail of, of <laughs> analysis throughout the years, um, thank you for, for being my, my companions this entire time. So, um, thank you all. And I just wanted to talk about the big, I would say the biggest Stephen King news for Stephen King fans to occur in quite some time, um, has happened in the last couple months. And so let's, let's break that down a little bit. The first, the first is earlier in the fall, it was announced that Amazon was going to be tackling the Dark Tower series. Okay, now that was cool. That's really cool news. We know that Amazon had previously um, uh, worked on an adaptation and they canceled it before the pilot ever saw the light of day. Um, and it looks like they're they're diving back into it again because they. Um, they, they see the worth and the value in it. So that was that was exciting in of itself. And then and then they announced that it was Flanagan who was going to be shepherding it. And I mean, like I just think that any Stephen King fan collectively just 
lost their shit when they heard that because if anyone understands the sensibilities and the inner workings of the Stephen King universe, it is Mike Flanagan. He knows what just inherently works about a Stephen King story. He has, you know, arguably the the best track record for adapting Stephen King. I know that, you know, it's it's either really going to be in terms of um throwing the numbers up there it's either going to be him or darabont so darabont has had uh shawshank green mile and the mist um and he's three for three there flanagan has gerald's game he has um dr sleep um and he has midnight mass which is a mike flanagan original but anyone that watches Midnight Mass that is a fan of Stephen King, you see how that that sensibility um, is just a, is a part of his, it, it's now ingrained in Mike, in, in Mike Flanagan. You know, it's character first, it's the exploration of themes through the horrific situation, it's a small town setting, it's, it's, it's everything that you would want out of a Stephen King story. And it's wonderful, and Flanagan gave that to us. Um, Midnight Mass is one of the best things I have ever seen on my television screen. Dr. Sleep, he had the impossible task of marrying um, Stephen King's uh, The Shining with Kubrick's The Shining while adapting a sequel to the the story. The sequel itself um, is, is not as beloved as The Shining was, even though I happen to like it a lot. Um for a lot of the reasons why a lot of people don't like it. Um, and it was an incredible film in of itself, on its own. Um, and he, he, he made Gerald's Game, which a lot of people also felt, myself included at one time, that it was a, um, an impossible novel to adapt. And he's done it. So if anyone is going to be able to adapt The Dark Tower, it's Mike Flanagan. And... <laughs> He just took that selfie with Pedro Pascal um, a couple weeks ago. So we could be getting Joel, Oberyn Martell, the Mandalorian himself playing the role of Roland Deschain, the gunslinger. Only time will tell, but this is an exciting time. I have full faith in Mike Flanagan to, to pull this off. If anyone's going to be able to be able to to tackle it it's it's definitely mike flanagan so that's really really exciting if you have any thoughts on on uh on an upcoming dark tower adaptation what you would like to see um feel free to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com okay so i just wanted to read some uh listener emails right now um so up first from quinn uh, Quinn writes, Dear Mr. Stephen Kingcast, I got a chance to read the final two Gwendy books and I wanted to talk about Richard, F- Richard Ferris. The ideas I present are merely food for thought. I don't necessarily believe them, but I vibe with them strongly. I think maybe everyone in Stephen King's literary multiverse is on a redemptive path, even the villains. So, um, spoiler alert for The Dark Tower and spoiler alert for the, the Gwendy books, Okay. Um, Susanna ascended to a higher plane with Eddie and Jake in the Dark Tower 7 because she finally turned away from Roland's obsessive quest. 
while Roland was damned to repeat his past mistakes until he got them right. But it's clear that Roland's soul has been slowly choosing compassion over time and that he will break the cycle eventually. I think the clearing at the end of the path that King writes about is a nirvana that characters ascend to once they've reincarnated enough times to become the best versions of themselves. Randall Flagg isn't evil. He's just a low vibrational version of himself every time we've seen him so far. I don't know what he's been up to after Mordred killed him, uh, but if I had to guess, I'd say he's been doing some soul searching. Because Richard Ferris, while creepy and unsettling and chaotic at times, is a much better man than Randall Flagg from The Stand. How cool would it be if Randall Flagg and Roland Deschain met in the clearing at the end of the path, not as enemies, but as brothers. Long days and pleasant nights, Quinn. Um, Alright, uh, it's an interesting, an interesting, interesting uh, question to pose. I need to process that. Um, I'm not sure if I quite would like that. I... I, I I really have come around on King's thesis of Randall Flagg um, as he's presented in in the Dark Tower, and I, I, I just like that that level of arrogance um, and self-absorption is... Uh, I just like the, the fate that he has met with um, and, and, and sort of the, the thesis statement on, on King's uh, judgment of, of that type of character. All right, and up next we have from Tim, who writes, Dear Constant Reader, I'm a longtime listener, first-time writer. I write first to say thank you for so many things, to share a little bit about my own Stephen King journey, and to wish you long days and pleasant nights. So first, my genuine thanks. Thank you for the many hours of entertainment about and engagement with the Stephen King books that I love and have meant so much to me. I've listened to every single one of your episodes and wish there was more. Glad that you're still working your way through the endings and producing new content on a semi-regular basis. Thank you for sharing not just your thoughts about the Master of Horror, but also the wider world of horror. I loved your Joe Hill episodes and have read all of Joe's books and one of Owen's. But regarding other authors, thank you most for your Pine Deep episodes and introducing me to Jonathan Mayberry. I devoured the Pine Deep trilogy and then fell in love with all things Joe Ledger. My little white mini schnauzer is a huge fan of Ghost and loves to cuddle next to me anytime I read Joe Ledger. Speaking of my pups, my condolences on the loss of your furry co-hosts. I cried during the episodes you spoke of their loss, and I'm glad that there's a, no, a new furry co-host in your house. Um, thank you, Tim. Thank you. I was introduced to Stephen King by my dad. I remember him sitting out in the backyard in iced tea nearby, reading Stephen King for hours in the sun. The covers of those books terrified me. From Cujo to Skeleton Key to It, I stayed as far away from King as I could until the year we moved uh, from Southern California to Arizona. It was the summer between junior high and my freshman year of high school, which is a terrible time to move to a new school in a different state. I was lonely and depressed. My dad suggested a stack of books. Included in the stack was then recently re-released complete and uncut version of The Stand. I couldn't put it down until, spoiler alert, spoiler alert everybody for The Stand. I couldn't put it down until, spoiler alert, Nick Andros died. At that point, I threw the book across my room in anger and disgust and swore I wouldn't finish the book or ever read Stephen King again. 30 minutes later, I was back in my room, the stand in hand, and finished the book later that same night. I immediately read the original release, followed by just about every other uh, King book on my dad's shelf. 
Couldn't bring myself to read Cujo, though. That cover was too damn scary. I especially enjoyed reading the Castle Rock books, save the one I just mentioned, leading up to Needful Things. Man, I loved that book. King really helped me overcome my depression that summer. I might even go so far as to say he saved my life. After high school, King became less of an obsession and more of an occasional read. I remember picking up Everything's Eventual, 11-22-63, Under the Dome, and Revival. Uh, but I missed so many of his late 90s and early to mid-2000s books. I really got back into King and discovered that your podcast, when the news broke about the Dark Tower movie, man, what a disappointment that was, but I'm still glad they made it, or I might not have finished the King canon or met you through your podcast. I had read the first three Dark Tower novels, but had never picked back up with Wizard in Glass, so I picked up the Gunslinger and restarted my journey with Roland and his quartet to the Tower. This time I was much more clued into the Man in Black and to the appearance of Randall Flagg in the conclusion of The Wastelands. Upon rereading Wizard in Glass, or upon reading Wizard in Glass, I was definitely surprised that the Quartet's journey through the world um, had been touched by Captain Trips. It also sparked my interest in uh, better understanding how the Dark Tower books touch other King's works. But I needed some help with that understanding and went in search of a guide. That search led me to you. You were my guide as I read the complete Dark Tower books, and then as I went back to reread those books that were most obviously Tower-adjacent, The Talisman, Black House, Insomnia, It, The Eyes of the Dragon, Hearts in Atlantis, etc. When I was done with those novels, I had so many of your podcasts untouched that I decided to go back and just read all of the King novels that I had missed over the years. I left Cujo for last, and it was terrifying. My favorite were Dumaki, Joyland, The Outsider, Desperation, The Regulators, and Full Dark, No Stars. Now I await the release of Fairy Tale and Holly. Oh, and I'm waiting for the next Joe Ledger Rogue Team International book, which I believe is titled Discord. Can't wait. For now, I'm reading the Final Girl Support Group at your recommendation and really enjoying it. I also re recently finished Kill Creek and Devolution, both of which were fantastic. So thanks for those recommendations, too. Okay, I've taken up enough of your time. So finally, from my home in Arizona, I wish you long days and pleasant nights, Tim. Tim, may you have twice the number. Um, thank you for this email. And I'm glad that uh, I was able to help you out in your Dark Tower journey. Um, and I'm glad that you were able to pick up some books that I recommended. Those are really, really good books. Okay, everyone. Um, if you want to write in um, and share your Stephen King story, how you, uh, you know, uh, first met Stephen King and what Stephen King means to you, or if you have any thoughts on... Um, any of the works of Stephen King or the one that we're going to talk about today, 11, um, sorry, <laughs> Under the Dome, please write in to stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. All right, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to get into the ending of Under the Dome, and I'm going to read the Wikipedia summary. At 11.45 a.m. on October 21st, 2017, a small main town of Chester Mills is abruptly and gruesomely separated from the outside world by an invisible, semi-permeable barrier of unknown origin. The immediate disappearance of the barrier causes a number of injuries and fatalities and traps former Army Captain Dale Barbie Barbara, who is trying to leave Chester's Mill because of a local dispute inside the town. Police Chief Howard Duke Perkins is killed instantly when his pacemaker explodes when he gets too close to the dome. This removes the last significant opposition to James Big, Rennie, Big Jim Rennie, a used car salesman, and the town's second selectman. Big Jim exerts a significant influence on Chester's mill and sees an opportunity to use the barrier as part of a power play to take over the town. 
Big Jim appoints one of his cronies, the incompetent Peter Randolph, as the new police chief. He also begins expanding the ranks of Chester Mills police with questionable candidates, including his son, Junior Rennie, and his friends. Junior has frequent migraines caused by uh, an as-yet-undiscovered brain tumor, which has also begun affecting his mental state. Unknown to Big Jim, Junior was in the process of beating and strangling a girl to death when the barrier appeared and has killed another girl by the time Big Jim places him on the police force. Elsewhere in Chester Mills, Colonel James O'Cox, who is stationed outside the dome, calls Julia Shumway, the editor of the local newspaper, and has her carry a message to Barbie to contact him. Cox then asks Barbie to act as the government's agent to bring down the dome, as it has come to be known. Drawing similarities to Barbie's army specialization in locating enemy munitions factories, Cox gives him the task of locating the dome's power source, which is believed to be somewhere in the town. Cox is also able to foresee the small-town political ramifications of such a situation. By virtue of a presidential order, Barbie is reinstated in the U.S. military and um, brevetted to the rank of colonel. Barbie is also presented with a decree granting him authority over the township. However, small town politics being what they are, this action this action is not well received by Big Jim and his band of renegade police officers. Around this time, Brenda Perkins, Duke's widow, discovers a file on her husband's computer that lists Big Jim's money-stealing schemes. As Big Jim as Big Jim covertly encourages and orchestrates unease and panic among the townspeople to build up his grab for power, Barbie, Julia, and some other townspeople attempt to stop things from spiraling out of control. After crossing Big Jim's path on several occasions, Barbie is framed and arrested for four murders. He is accused of killing Rester, Reverend Lester Coggins, who laundered money for Big Jim's large-scale meth operation, and Duke's widow, Brenda Perkins, who were both murdered by Big Jim as well as Angie and Doty. While Barbie is in jail, other residents track the source of the dome using a Geiger counter to an abandoned farm. The device they find in the middle of the farm's orchard is strongly indicated to be extraterrestrial in origin. The restrictions issued by Big Jim become more severe and the police force grows more abusive, galvanizing the town and eventually leading some residents to break Barbie out of jail, killing Junior seconds before he can murder Barbie. The semi-organized resistance flees to the abandoned farm where multiple people touch the strange object and experience visions. They do not they not only conclude that the device was put in place by extraterrestrial leatherheads, but that specifically they are juveniles who have set up the dome as a form of entertainment, a sort of ant farm used to capture sentient beings and allow their captors to view everything that happens to them. On an organized visitor's day, when people outside the dome can meet at its edge with people within, Big Jim sends Randolph and a detachment of police to take back control of his former meth operation um, from Phil Chef Bushy, who is stopping Big Jim from covering up the operation as well as hoarding the more than 400 tanks of propane stored there. Big Jim underestimates Chef's capacity for self-defense and meth-induced paranoia, he, as well as the now ostracized head selectman Andy Sanders, defend themselves from the meth lab with assault rifles. Many are killed in the ensuing gunfight, and Chef, who is mortally wounded, detonates a plastic explosive device he has placed in the meth production facility. 
The ensuing explosion combined with the propane and meth-making chemicals unleashes a toxic firestorm large, large enough to incinerate most of the town. More than thousands of than a thousand of the town's residents are quickly incinerated on national television, leaving alive just over 300 individuals who gradually die out as the toxic air restricts their breathing. Among the survivors are the 27 refugees at the abandoned camp farm, an orphan farm boy hiding in a potato cellar, and Big Jim and Carter Thibodeau, the town at the town's fallout shelter. Big Jim and Thibodeau eventually turn on each other over the limited oxygen supply. Big Jim stabs and disembowels Thibodeau, only to die several hours later when hallucinations of the dead sent him fleeing into the toxic environment outside. The survivors of the barn begin to slowly asphyxiate, despite efforts by the army to force clean air through the walls of the dome. Barbie and Julia go to the control device to beg their captors to release them. Julia makes contact with a single female leatherhead, no longer accompanied by her friends and thus not under peer pressure. After repeatedly expressing that they are real sentient beings with real little lives and by sharing a painful childhood in, uh, incident with an adolescent alien, Julia convinces the Leatherheads to have pity on them. The dome rises slowly and vanishes, allowing the toxic air to dissipate and finally freeing what is left of Chester's Mills. So here is what I'm going to explore now. We're going to look at the criteria for a good ending. I'm going to answer a series of questions. Um that break it down. So the first is this, does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that is consistent with the characters' actions, conflict, or themes of the book? So look, I mean, we have to acknowledge that this is a, an incredibly divisive ending. People either love it or, uh, okay, uh, no, no, I take that back. People just straight up hate the ending of this book. Um, I, I, I actually take it back. I don't think it is divisive. I think it's just generally maligned and i guess the question is why like why is this ending so bothersome to people i mean for a book that where an inexplicable dome comes down over town i just don't get why it's too much for some people to accept that the dome was put in place by unsympathetic aliens for hundreds of pages we're in the thick of the rat race with the rats as they make their way through the mazes we are in the tunnels with the ants in the ant farm we have the ground eye view and perspective of the tragedies and the horrors and the fears. And personally, I have no issue pulling back and seeing a glimpse of the creatures holding the ant farm. After all, as I said in the main review, it's a, condemna it's a condemnation of us. We are the ones holding the book. We are holding the ant farm. We want the tragedy and the pain to make it enjoyable for us. So if this is the ultimate understanding of the ending, we have to accept that the ants shouting at the people holding the ant farm is a little ludicrous, but appropriate for what the book is. And many of the ants meet their endings because of their decisions, not the ones holding the ant farm, which ultimately reinforces the power of free will. It ultimately doesn't matter that we're trapped in a dome. Okay, and listen, I know that I've referenced this book and its characters since 2016, and while we're not living under a dome, we are on a globe, and the events that transpire in this book are not all that dissimilar from the ant farm that we're all stuck in. Okay? So, if we are our own ants under this dome, what we see here in this novel, as it transpires, in which there are, for 
like let's just say everything has just been um shrunk down under this dome okay so i'm going to use the term global okay so there are global calamities and global issues that need to be addressed within this small town which for in of itself now has become its own world and rather than working together to get themselves out of this large issue that they all share they are now faced with strife and conflict because of selfishness because of small town thinking and uh just the, the more immediate needs um rather than thinking of the 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 global or larger community um concerns that plague everybody and the selfishness and the um, appealing to the lowest common denominator and appealing to our more selfish needs drives the conflict and that is recognizable in our world has been throughout history Um, so to explore that I think that that is in keeping with the characters. I think it's in keeping with the themes. I think that's incredibly important. Does it uh, successfully wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one one, one another with consistency? Yes. Um, I say so, yeah. I mean, the overarching meth lab mystery is resolved, ending with fire. It's the micro versus macro. We have the characters um, going out to the higher powers, trapping them with the smaller powers, trapping them, literally burning the town to the ground. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that it, it, it definitely works. Um, does the conclusion serve the theme, symbolism, and motifs? Yes. Um, I talked about that in, in the character um, piece. You know, this, you know, just is a microcosm. It's like a, it's just like a, a study in, um, in psychology and sociology. It's just, it's when the dome comes down, every human experience that is going to take place takes place here. Um, except it's so, you know, it's, it's under a pressure cooker situation, but it's not dissimilar from what's really occurring. Listen, as I record this, um, you know, we, we saw, you know, toxicity of selfishness um, lead to literal toxicity in Ohio with the, the, the tankers being burned and uh, uh, the, the, the rivers and the water supplies being poisoned and people dying and cattle dying and livestock dying and animals dying. And that to me, that literal toxicity um, deriving from the toxicity of greed is under the dome. It's under the dome. That is literally happening right now under our dome. Um, so I just thought that it was very apt that this occurs the same week that I'm recording this. All right. Um, what is the most famous scene in the novel and does it appear in the conclusion of the story? Um, this is a question that doesn't necessarily mean that an ending is 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 valid it's just some it's like kind of like an extra x factor that helps things out i think i would say that the most famous scene is probably the opening when the dome comes down and it's great um are there other factors that we need to consider um yeah it's just that people hate this ending and this was actually used i think 
for a lot of uh, the, the, the to, to back up the argument that people make that King can't successfully end his books. But I think that it works. I think that's a fair ending um, to this novel. Um, you know, I, and when the, the, the show was being adapted, there was a lot of conversation around, are they going to change the ending to quote unquote, make it better? Um, you know, I tapped out of the show so early on, I can't speak to it, but, um, no, I think that this is a very valid ending to what King is doing with this book. Um, and I think that it's, it's a thrilling ending. I think that it's a poignant ending. I think that it's it, it's a good ending to a good book. Do I like the ending? Yes. And based on everything that I had, I had discussed in the questions about plot, about theme, about character, about conflict, yes, it's a good ending. All right? So with our tally, I like uh, 36 out of 42 endings. And um, based on the questions, we have determined that 37 out of 42 endings are good. So that's where we are. Um, so far, um, and that is Under the Dome. Up next, uh, when we meet next, whenever that may be, we will talk about 112263. Um, we'll discuss the ending of, of that one. Um, so if you have any thoughts, if you have any repudiation of anything that I have said or any agreement of anything that I have said, you can write into Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. And may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast.